teams led down to San Antonio have accomplished the first mission, and that was to get Allison to the Magnolia uh, store. So she was able to see Chip and Joanna's store. So no matter what else happens, Jonathan's spring break trip has been a success. So we're, we're glad for that. So technology, I love technology. And technology has uh, created this thing called night vision. And so the cool thing about night vision, I had the opportunity to play around with some of it a few years ago. And while this technology has transitioned uh, over time, over the years, into more civilian purposes, it started out as a, a military tool. And so uh, now law enforcement, uh, you know, first responders, it's in all different areas, hunting, and so uh, di- different aspects of it. And of course, what secret agent would be caught dead without their night vision technology? Right? And so I got bored with the science because I would do a terrible job of explaining to you uh, the, the science behind the technology. But what, with a good device, you can see a person standing over 200 yards away on a moonless, cloudless night. And so whether it's goggles or scopes or cameras, there are kind of two basic types of night vision technology. You have image enhancement, which is the green looking one. And then you have the, the thermal imaging, which is the little more colorful stuff. And so basically, image enhancement is better for identification, while thermal enhancement is better for detection. And so the reason I bring this up is because before Jesus put on flesh and came to this earth and lived as a human, we were looking at the kingdom of God through the lens of thermal imaging. And so we could see that something was there, but we couldn't quite make out the details of it. And so Jesus effectively put spiritual night vision on us, so that we could see the promises of God and of His kingdom, not perfectly clear in this dark world, but with more detail at least. And so He enables us to live this life of nearsighted vision with a farsighted view of His eternal kingdom. And so Jesus breaks into the public arena with this pronouncement that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is here. And those are synonymous in, in, in Scripture. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And so He calls His first disciples from their task of of fishing, which was their occupation, their profession, to the task of uh, fishing for people, fishing for humans, fishing for men, as Scripture says. And so then he shows his disciples just what this new kind of fishing is going to look like. And so he preaches the good news of the kingdom of heaven to people. And he demonstrates the power of this kingdom through healing and healing every kind of disease and every abnormality uh, that you can imagine. And so the presence of this kingdom of heaven liberates, it sets free the captives, those who are, are captive to, to, to the sin and the effects of sin on this world around us. And so kingdom, as we talked about, is where the rule of the king is carried out. And Jesus proves and shows to us that there is no boundary to God's kingdom. And so the language of the Beatitudes we've been looking at reflects Old Testament language. It says those who are poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who, who, who seek after uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are meek, they, they suffer because of their faithfulness to God and they trust in God to vindicate them. And so while, while those oppressed God's people may be blessed for a moment, they have a momentary blessing according to their evil standards. The one who trusts in the Lord is going to have an eternal blessing based on God's holy standards. And so Jesus calls us, he calls those who believe to be his followers and to have this radical commitment and this hope. 
And so a radical commitment to anything is going to create a level of conflict between those who do not believe the same way that you believe, no matter what that may be, whose beliefs and actions are different. And so Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. And this verse is not a a blanket promise, a blessing on on everybody who's been persecuted. And so if you read the text carefully, the verse is very specific. It's a promise of blessing. And it's a promise of blessing for those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And so this is an important provision here. And so there, there are many, a lot of people are persecuted for their own stupidity or their own poor decisions. We see people like that. We may have even experienced that ourselves. And Jesus does not promise blessings across the board here. And so this blessing He promises is for those who are persecuted for righteousness or for His sake, because of Him. And so this is so counterintuitive. It's countercultural to what the world around us believes. And so this may be why Jesus says it twice. And so both of these blessed statements say you are blessed when you are persecuted. And that's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. Jesus says it twice for us, so we can kind of get the point here. We need to hear it twice, so we don't deny the truth here. So I, I personally cannot relate to someone who is physically tortured or who is killed because of their belief in Jesus. I can't relate to that. I've never been in that situation. I can see it. I can recognize what they're going through, but I personally cannot relate to that. These people who are living and being tortured and killed because of their belief in Jesus, which has translated into living their life based on the teachings of Jesus. And so we can read past this statement in Matthew. We can read over it. But Jesus expounds on this a little bit more. And this is what helps me. This connects with us a little bit better today. He says there in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. So see, persecution is not only physical torture or physical opposition. Those are kind of the the extreme ends of persecution. Persecution, as Jesus says here, is also insults. It's also malice. Malice for what? Insults because of what? For the sake of Jesus. Because we're living based on the standards of Jesus. He says, because of me. And so Jesus teaches the need to expect suffering. When you are living right, you are living godly, you've got to expect it. It's coming. And so our natural inclination may be to run from persecution. How do we do that? We do it by closing our mouths. And we hide, we shelter the way we live. Don't let anybody know what we think. Don't let anybody see our different choices that we're making. So we hide that so that we don't have to go through or face that opposition. So we're not doing something wrong. When people speak about evil against us because of the name of Jesus, there is nothing wrong about that. So we're not doing something wrong when we're persecuted for living a righteous, godly life. We're going to be tempted to change the way we live and to change the way we speak because we think that the world's resistance to our lives means we need to make the change. 
And we do not need to make the change because we are the light of the world. We are the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Light and darkness cannot mix, so there's going to be this opposition. And scriptures are filled with, with declarations that the world is going to resist us. And they're going to cause us harm for the sake of Jesus. Timothy, when you, you read about Timothy, Timothy was physically sick because of, of resistance against his teaching the truth of Jesus, the way of Jesus. And some of that resistance, by the way, came from within the church. <laughs> and so Paul encourages him, and he encourages us, when he writes to him in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, not only should we expect to be persecuted when we're trying to live a righteous life, but Jesus warns us to think about, okay, what if you have no trouble at all? You will be persecuted when you are doing what Christ has asked you to do. But what if you're not? What if there is no persecution? Well, Luke records the the same Beatitudes, uh, but he also records kind of a mirror response to these Beatitudes, these blessings here. And so, Jesus pronounces those who are blessed, but he also sheds light on the alternative of those who choose not to. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. See, kingdom living is persecuted living. It's resistance living. It's feeling the pressure to act different from everybody else, making different decisions. And when you're away from the sterile environment of a gathering like this, you should feel it. You should feel that. And so suffering and persecution for the cause of Christ reveals the true motives of our heart. Marriage is always a useful analogy because our relationship with Jesus, especially, is always pictured as a marriage relationship in the New Testament. So it's useful here. And so marriage, thinking about marriage, can be very easy during the honeymoon. Very easy during the honeymoon. The commitment is easy, right? But when our covenant vow to remain together for better turns into for worse, then that commitment to marriage is truly revealed. And so the same is true with our commitment to each other in the church, our commitment to Christ, and our commitment to one another as the church. We must remain together, not only for better, but also for worse, and especially for worse, during the worst. And so God's true followers remain with Him during resistance, and they suffer because of His name. And so our love for, for God is so great that when we are faithful to Him, we are faithful even when we are pressured to go against Him. And this is ultimately what our decision comes down to. The approval of God is greater than our desire for the approval of others. Otherwise, we're not going to endure when others revile us, when they persecute us, when they shame us, when they utter all kinds of evil against us because of Jesus' name, because of the choices we make. And so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, belongs to those who suffer because of faithfulness to Him. Well, suffer how? How do we suffer? Well, it's the derogatory comments that are falsely clothed and just joking around. I'm just joking with you. Oh, lighten up, man. Just joking with you. It's the passive aggressiveness you experience when you're the only one in the house who gets up on Sunday morning to go to worship. 
It's being purposefully overlooked in the dugout at the game because you missed Wednesday night's practice. It's being passed over for a promotion or opportunity because they know that if you're in that position, you're not going to overlook the rules or bend the rules. It's not being asked because your attendance is going to make others feel uncomfortable about the way they're going to be behaving. And so if persecution is not on account of Jesus, it doesn't qualify you in this, this, this picture of blessing. And so if they persecute you because you're an American, or because you're a Democrat, or because you're a Republican, or because you're a vegetarian, or whatever, if they persecute you for some other reason, there is no blessing from the Lord in that. There's no pronounced blessing in that. It must be on account of me. On account of me, he says, because you are like Jesus, you're speaking for him. And so the scripture is very specific here. Anything less than that is not this kingdom blessing. It doesn't fit into this. And so this is an important point. We need to use discretion regarding it. Because too many times we read the headline, the headline is it wants you to believe that it's persecution for Christ. But when you really investigate what's beneath the headline, you find out they weren't being persecuted for the Lord. They were being persecuted because they're a jerk. That's why they were being persecuted. So what did Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Not the pot stirrers. That's not what the blessing is. And so 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14, we read, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory, who is the Spirit of God, rests on you. Listen to this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or criminal or as a troublemaker. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. So we shouldn't suffer as a murderer or thief. Okay, I got that one covered. Or a criminal, okay. Or as a troublemaker. That's pretty broad, isn't it? People say, everything happens for a reason. Move on. Everything happens for a reason. Well, everything may happen for a reason. And sometimes that reason is because you make a bad choice. Sometimes the reason it happened is because I made a bad choice. And now I've got a consequence for that. I read about how a, um, a congregation was having a meeting in a neighborhood park. And so they called this meeting there. And so then the headlines were they were being persecuted because the city had come in and, and given citations out because they were meeting in the city parks. Oh, the city's against the church. Everybody's up in arms because of this, you know. But guess what? It turns out the city was not opposed to them worshiping Christ in that park. See, the deal was there was an ordinance against having so many cars trying to park along the street, especially in a residential neighborhood where there's no parking lots. So they got cited because their vehicles were clogging up the streets. Not because they were worshipping in the park. And that's how things get twisted. And sometimes in our minds we can even twist things and think I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. Maybe somebody is mad or aggravated or talking to you in that tone because of the way you've been talking to them. Or acting towards them. Maybe it's because of me and not because of Christ that I'm being persecuted. So here's the thing though that maybe should make us more uneasy than even persecution. It's frightening to me to consider that my faith, our faith, might be too tepid, too lukewarm, too ineffective towards the opposition, that not only did they not persecute us, but they ignore us completely. They were not even a factor 
in their lives, in disrupting their lives. I think it was in the voice of the martyrs. I was, was reading something where a fellow named Yakov Demkani. Don't quote me on that and how to pronounce it. But anyway, he was talking about being spit on and verbally abused and, and, and beaten, assaulted for sharing his faith in Asia. And so they were interviewing him and, and, and he asked the question from this American interviewer, why such well-meaning Christians would sympathize with him, oh, bless his heart, for going through with this. He said, why are they sympathizing with me? When I suffer for sharing the gospel, why are they not rather envious of me for going through this? So he was confused by it, especially in the light of the words of Jesus, where he says, Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. So persecution for the sake of Jesus is not a reason to get mad. It's not a reason to be offended. It's not a reason to feel vengeful or look for ways to strike out, lash out, especially through political puke. Persecution for the sake of Jesus and righteousness is cause for celebration. That's from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, who hung on the cross and died for us. I'm going to listen to him. (laughs) And Jesus says that those who do are promised a great reward. And I don't believe he means by this a degree of reward that's greater than those who who either didn't suffer persecution or didn't suffer as much persecution. I don't believe that's what he's saying here. It seems grammatically the word great, as he mentions it here, is kind of elevating the outcome. Elevating the outcome of, 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 of living an obedient life on earth versus those who, who decide not to and respond differently to the world around us and, and how we live our lives. I like how the message says this. It says, you can be glad when that happens. You can be glad when you're persecuted. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do, says the Lord. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. <laughs> And so here is even more evidence of this tension between the already but not yet kingdom of God that we've been looking at. And so while Jesus affirms the, the present experience of the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, synonymous, he affirms the, the present experience in verses 3 and 10 here in Matthew 5. He goes on to promise a future vindication for those who are unfortunately blessed by living this way and being recognized this way in verses 4 and 9. So, and then in the first, the words in the second half of these Beatitudes here are the present tense, and then, and then you've got the future tense. And so there's this dichotomy here. There's this already, but not yet. There's a present suffering and a future vindication. So vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not for us to get even and to lash out in this body, in this life. God is going to take care of that for us. And we are to bask in our promised reward. But the promise of future vindication, that doesn't mean that, that we should focus entirely on the future because we're here right now. And we're here for a purpose and a reason. God created us and created this world for us to live in. And so Jesus insists that God has the final word. And he brings assurance into the present. So we can live today with the assurance of these future promises of God. And so that's why we can say, blessed are those who mourn. 
And blessed are the, the meek, and blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and, and blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the peacemakers who bring God's shalom, God's peace and, and, and balance to the life around them. So Jesus gives his followers, he gives us eyes to see this, that the future is certain. And because we can see through the words of Jesus, we have a certain future, it should transform our present. It changes the way we live now. And so Jesus calls us to join this radical kingdom. It's a radical experience, but he gives us a radical vision to match that king, the kingdom of heaven that infiltrates the present. And so we can continue fishing for people. We can continue proclaiming the good news of the, the kingdom of God at great cost to ourselves. Because of this promise, we can continue fighting the, the, those who uh, oppress us in Jesus' name. And so we can suffer for the sake of Jesus and the gospel with the assurance that God has the last word. We continue this in hope and assurance. And so when we see people who are receiving the word of God and, and, and who are finding healing in the name of Jesus, then we can announce the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is here. It is in your presence. And so the New Testament portrays Jesus as preparing his disciples for this reality. Persecution is coming. So he gets us ready for that. From the very early parts of his ministry, he plants these seeds. And so what do we read earlier? If the world hates you, in John 15, be aware that it hated me first. We're not treading road. We're not going down a path that Christ did not go first. He's the forerunner. We're following him. And so persecution is this continuous stream that courses through the history of Christianity. And the reason is plain. It's because Jesus has established a kingdom vindicating the righteousness of God. So the world hated Jesus when he first made righteous claims of divine authority. And guess what? It hasn't changed. The world still hates Jesus. When we talk about the world, that's the, the view that is opposed to God. That's what we're talking about. The view that is opposed to God is the worldly view. And so that is who still hates God. And so his demand for righteousness is still unbearable to the unbelieving heart. It still makes them sick. To, to think about and to try to process. And so, here's the deal. So now you, we, in following God and believing God, we're behind the times. If we believe that marriage is only for one man and one woman. And you are behind the times if you believe that a perfectly viable baby can be terminated at the discretion of its parents. And you are behind the times if you think that in the beginning, God created the male and female. And you're behind the times if you think there is one God who created the heavens and the earth. And you're behind the times if you think that the Word of God is the only moral compass that we need for life. And you're behind the times if you think your body is the temple of the Spirit of God. And you're behind the times if you think the church is anything other than a man-made institution. And so you believe anything different will tread on the conscience of the people who think differently. That's anti-worldly belief. And guess what? A lot of them are going to lash out. They'll do it verbally, and they'll do it physically. They'll do it in harmful, and they'll do it in legal ways. And so the war, though, we wage is not against flesh and blood. 
It's not against these people who are fighting against the will of God. And so perhaps we spend a disproportionate amount of time trying to alter the course of culture. when we should be spending time loving our neighbor. Jesus didn't spend his time in the great hall of Caesar. Jesus spent his time in the living room of the peasant. He spent his time with the people. And this of all things, of all things, what brought him the greatest conflict is spending time with the people and talking to them and preaching his way and his kingdom. But it's also what affected his greatest influence. Knee to knee, face to face, person to person. And so persecution for righteousness' sake is not the same as trouble we get for disrespecting unbelievers. Because we can also have a lot of problems if we are less than scrupulous in how we deal with those around us. And so John Chrysostom in his 5th century study of Matthew, his commentary on Matthew, he warns us not to expect blessing if we are reviled for something evil. Don't expect blessing if we're doing something that is against the will of God. Or if we're treating people a certain way that is anti-love, and it is in fact true that we're doing that, we can't expect blessing from that. It's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. It's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean the privilege to suffer? Don't we suffer enough? Do we? Kingdom of God is not synonymous with the United States of America. And the values and the swagger that we project under the banner of patriotism, which lead us as Americans to, to bow up and blow up on any outside force that tries to infiltrate our sacred ground, these are not the same values. It's not the same swagger that is pronounced and portrayed by our eternal King. Don't mistake what I just said, but hear it in the context of Scripture. We've got to change our thinking so that we can understand and act in this way. So we we turn the other cheek then. That's what Christ followers do. We turn the other cheek. We love our enemies as we love ourselves. We pray for those who persecute us. There is no nation on earth ever have been, ever will be built or survived living by those decrees. <laughs> They're not. Only the eternal kingdom of God, which is why those who submit themselves to the eternal rule are going to be pronounced blessed. That's why there's blessing in God's kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. And we read now they persecuted our Christ the same way. And the blessing of night vision is to see clearly when we are surrounded by darkness. That's kingdom vision. What an incredible hope 
God has given us through Jesus Christ. And what joy we can have in the middle of conflict, living in God's kingdom come, His kingdom now. And it may be hard to identify with this idea of persecution, but I know this. It's taken a lot less than torture to keep a bunch of Christians silent. So what's happening? May our prayer be for grace to persevere in our daily lives. May our prayer be that even when we are reacted to negatively, that we will respond in love and kindness, with grace and mercy, just as Christ has responded to us. May our prayer be for forgiveness. Forgiveness for ourselves, for not really living for Him, or or for standing up for Him, or witnessing for Him when we have the opportunity to do so. And strength to do different next time. May our prayer be for forgiveness for how we have reacted, and how we have attacked, and how we have polarized people who have spoken and who have lived differently and negatively about Christ and His church. You remember Peter? Remember what happened to Peter? Peter was in this courtyard while Jesus was, was, was inside being interrogated and being falsely accused and charged by the Jewish rulers. You remember what was going on there? He denied Jesus three times. Three different opportunities, and each one more adamantly, until finally he just exploded, calling curses down from heaven upon himself. And then he repented. And then Jesus forgave. And then Peter witnessed. And then eventually Peter was killed. That's what happened. But he lived. And he died with his feet in the already. And his eyes set on the not yet. And so he can do all of this through Christ who strengthened him. And that's the same strength that's available to us today. When we immerse our lives in Jesus' loving invitation. And so if your goal is to save your life, you will ultimately lose it. But if you lose your life, if you lose your stubborn ways, if you lose your defiant heart for the sake of Jesus Christ, you will find your life today. And by the power of His Spirit, in His kingdom come. So I ask you today, where are you hiding from? Are you hiding from resistance? Are you hiding from negativity because of how you have chosen to live your life, because of the choices that you make, because of plans that you have, because of how you raise your family? Are you sheltering down because of that? Christ calls us to be open. Because the only way the darkness can see the light is for the light to infiltrate the darkness, but not be overcome. And that's the strength of His Spirit that He gives us. So today, if there's a, if there's a sin within you that you are harboring, if there is a fear within you that you are allowing to oppress your confession of Jesus Christ and the world around you, God calls you to repent of that and receive His strength to be a witness in the world and be blessed. And if you're ready to become a child of God, to be immersed into Christ, immersed into His death, so that you can be raised again in His resurrection as a new person receiving the gift of His Spirit, 
the promise of eternal life with his night vision, his kingdom vision, so that you can see through the dark days of this world to the brighter hope of tomorrow. He calls you to the waters today. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If we can help you in any way this morning in your obedience to Christ, will you come?